This morning, I need to confess, I am Google Map dependent. It was as much as I love those uh, atlases that Adam showed uh, from the booth upstairs, I do get trapped by Google Maps. I think I've talked about this before, and maybe you've had that experience when you have depended on Google Maps and then because either a loss of connection or Google simply just wants to mess with you, you find yourself in a location you never intended to be. Uh, at the end of 2019, Vic and I had the opportunity to be in Britain, and we were in the Scottish Highlands, and we wanted to take a trip from Fort William over to Isle of Skye. I'm sure many of you know the route. We did not. Um, we uh, woke up and punched in Isle of Skye into our sat-nav, and we trusted it. We left, and uh, we had a little trouble finding the first turn, uh, but we were on a blue line. So as long as we were on a blue line, we thought, hey, we're good. And we um, were taken to this beautiful forest. It was at the dead end of a dirt road. <laughs> we had no idea where we were. Uh, we were not on the Isle of Skye, uh, uh, but we were somewhere. You know, if I had just taken a little bit of time ahead of time, if I had just paid a little bit of attention, uh, if I had listened just a little bit more and looked at the information, and that before we started, I had some idea of where we were going to go, what a difference that could have made in our trip. Taking time to know where you're going is an important thing to do. Last year, as we stepped into the year, we had the elders do what they have been doing for a while, that they, through prayer and uh, community and sharing with each other, they discerned that what was important for 2021 is that we would focus on the fact that we belong, that each one of us, that we could say, I belong. I belong to Jesus. In the midst of a culture that has quite a bit of division going on, even division within our own congregation, in the midst of isolation we were experiencing because of the pandemic, that it was important for each one of us to say, I belong, that the thing that unites me is that I belong to Jesus Christ, and I belong then together with everybody else that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one. What is your greatest comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As we enter 2022, uh, the elders have taken a different path, that, that rather than setting uh, an important theme for the coming year, that this is a time when we might be able to ask, what's next? What's next? A, a slightly larger question, kind of a, a, a turning point question. Given all the trends in culture, given the impact of the pandemic on, on our community and on our congregation, uh, given the fact that maybe we've come to uh, uh, the end of the season of these five-year goals we've been working on, what's next for us? As we ask ourselves that question, there are a number of places in Scripture where we could turn just to even hear some uh, other times that God's people had uh, been in a similar type of place. We could look at the Exodus. We could look at the time when they actually came into the promised land. We could look at when people of God were be being exiled or when they were returning from exile. The passages that we're going to be spending some time at, and this is going to take us from today all the way through the end of June, we're going to divide it up into five different sermon series of, of varying lengths. Um, but we're going to look at John 13 through John 17. John 13 through John 17. Uh, 
This is a time in this upper room encounter where Jesus is with His disciples, and He prepares them for what's next. Well, for today and for the next two weeks will be the first of these sermon series. We're calling it The Served, The Servants, and The Sellout. And so today we'll begin with The Served. You know, when you go to a restaurant, there are some things to enjoy. One of the things to enjoy are, is the really good food. You know, that if you wouldn't go to a restaurant knowing that it's going to serve you bad food. I hope not. But if you're going to go to a restaurant, one of the gifts you get is that uh, it's someone else's recipe, and they have hopefully done a good job at it, that, that they have built a reputation on what they put together and, and how they prepare the meal for you. There is this uh, taco place in town that uh, Nathan uh, uh, shared the information about it. Uh, he found it first. And so you know where Sterling meets the 74, you know, across from the big mall, and uh, that there's this little taco shop there called Pericos. And I tell you, the tacos and the rice and beans. I, we, when we cook refried beans at home, we open a can and kind of dump them in a pot and warm them up, put some hot sauce on it, and we say we have refried beans. Oh, my goodness, the food at this place, what a gift to give. But there's something else about going out to a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, you get served. Somebody else serves you. You didn't have to plan the menu. You didn't have to go shopping. You didn't have to spend the time cooking all of the different pieces of the meal. You didn't have to arrange for uh, utensils and plates. And uh, It's all done for you. They, they clean up after you. You get served when you go to a restaurant. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today, is being served. And our text today is John 13, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to encourage you, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. John 13, verses 1 through 11. And we'll take a look at the story as it unfolds here. Hear the Word of God. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, him, given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. 
May God bless the reading of his word. And may God grant his favor upon us as we spend time under it and in it. All right, so quickly this morning what we're going to do is we're going to set the scene. We're going to watch the action unfold and then we'll examine the responses. So let's first set the scene. Now, um, there's been a little bit of hype about this. In fact, uh, people are talking about this day because of the event that's going to take place. Maybe you've been paying attention to the hype yourself. That's right. At the end of this service, our congregational meeting's going to occur. <laughs> Woo! We have been publishing it in our weekly update. We have been putting it in our announcement sheet. We have told you that it's coming. I understand there's another event that's going on today as well. And so it's gotten some TV time, and people have written about it and developed podcasts about it, and the game's going to occur later today. What we find here in the first three verses as we set the scene is the introduction to what's going to take place. The hype, but it's not an overhyped situation. Here's how we are to understand what's taking place in the story of the, of the washing of the feet. Look what takes place in verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover. Maybe you've been in a Bible study that explored the Gospel of John before, and and you've been a part of those discussions that looks at how John lays out the timing of that final week and compared it to how it's laid out in Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke. Um, and that's a great conversation to have. And, uh, and scholars have written quite a bit about some of the differences that are, are connected there. Um, for our purpose today, what we want to note is that they are all in agreement that Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. In fact, if we were to go back through the whole of the Gospel of John, we'll see how John had already addressed all the introduction that he is providing here. In fact, that the introduction in these first three verses sums up a number of the teachings that, that John has already given us before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father. So we get a sense of Jesus and his knowledge. That he's aware, that he has this awareness of what's taking place at this moment. That the time is upon him. That there's going to be this movement. That he's going to depart from this world and, and, and to go to be with his heavenly Father. With his Father. We're told that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's a sense of completion. Jesus fulfilling his mission. I did find it interesting in, in Bruner's commentary on the Gospel of John. He mentions that in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John, the first 12 that leads up to our section of Scripture, in the first 12 chapters, there's only six occurrences of this word love. But when you get to chapters 13 through 17, in the five chapters of 13 through 17, that the word occurs 31 times. As the disciples are going to be considering what's next, love is very much a part of that. Let's go to verse 2. We find that it starts with saying, during supper, 
what this tells us is that, that this washing of feet is not the typical washing of feet, that it's not the, the washing of feet that occurs when somebody comes into a home. As Jesus often did, he's, he's being very intentional about his engagement, and, and he's going to be teaching and revealing through what he is doing. So it's during supper that Jesus pauses to wash feet. In the next line, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to, to betray Jesus. Even now, we're getting more of the scope. That here's Jesus who knows what's going on, who who's about set to depart, he's going to go to the Father. He gets up in the middle of the meal, and for us to acknowledge that the devil is in the midst of the work as well, that betrayal is, is going to happen. And we get to verse 3, it, it, it then comes back to just how in control Jesus is, how, how sovereign over this moment he is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. It tells us, it sets the scene that Jesus is the sovereign one. That Jesus is not being tossed to and fro by the dynamics and forces of other people's agendas. Or even the evil one's agenda. That Jesus is not a victim. But Jesus goes into this moment as the sovereign Lord, God in the flesh. So let's put a little bit of a pause here. Let's pause and ask ourselves the question, what is the cosmic narrative that you carry around with you? You see, what we have here is a cosmic narrative. It's Jesus Christ. It's, it's God the Father. It's, it's the devil at work. There's, there's this encounter taking place, and all things have been given into the hands of Christ. What is the cosmic narrative you carry around with you? You see, one of the things that's competing against the cosmic narrative all the time are, um, are the little workings out of, of our life moment by moment. Like, let's say you have a test coming up. That can be such a big piece of your current story, of your current life experience, that you're not thinking about any cosmic narrative, any big picture thing. You're just focused on the test you have to take. Let's say you're making a decision about which college you're going to go to. And that can be all-consuming. And it just draws all of your energy. Or, or maybe you have this stack of bills at home. Or, or maybe there's this conflict in your marriage. Or, or, or whatever it might be, the loss of a loved one or, or the facing of some kind of illness. And, and we hear these, we feel these stories. We experience these stories. And maybe we're so consumed by them, it reveals to us a little bit of how little attention we give to the bigger story. Jesus enters the foot washing. The disciples enter the foot washing. John writes this sometime later, the whole of the church enters the story of the foot washing with a bigger story being played out. Jesus is the sovereign one who is in control, who is not a victim, who is fulfilling his purpose. And God the Father is over all of it. Let's take a look then and watch the action unfold. Let's watch the action unfold. Have you ever caught someone doing something 
wonderfully, humanly tender and kind? Have you ever seen that? You know, where, when you're just watching, you're out in public, and, and maybe it's one child turning to another child and, and just showing an act of kindness to them. Maybe it's a couple that seems like they've, they've probably been married for a long, 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 long time, and the tenderness which, with, they, uh, with which they hold each other's hands. Uh, when Vicki and I were back at UCLA, we helped out with the Special Olympics program on the campus, and we would go to a number of the meets with the team that we were supporting, and there were, and I'm sure you've seen stories like this before too, but you know, we have some athletes in, in a, uh, some kind of a, a, a track event, and they're running along, and, and then one of the athletes would fall, and, and then you'd see one of your athletes stop, and just stop in the middle of the race and go back and help the person up, and they'd, they'd complete the race together. Just wonderfully, wonderfully tender and kind. Well, at the very least, what we have in the story before us today is a wonderfully tender and kind act, at the very least, of one human reaching out to his friends. We're told that Jesus rose from supper. He rose from supper. We've already said it. it's not the typical kind of foot washing. You know, foot washing was something that was saved for slaves to do. And in the Jewish uh, uh, community, it was that if there was a, a Jewish servant in your house, they were not to be uh, told to wash other people's feet. This would have to be a Gentile servant. It was a low, low thing to do. It was, it was so low that, that if, there were, if, if there were a Jewish slave in, in the house, that the Jewish slave would not be required to do it. There's this theologian that uh, lived last century, and he referred to this, uh, this story of the foot washing. He called it the, the vestibule of the passion, the vestibule of the passion narrative. Well, what does that mean? So the passion narrative, the, the story of Jesus' suffering, and the, the story of Jesus' death on the cross. And what does vestibule mean? That means the, the area at the front, by the front door, the area by the front door. So in order to understand or to get to the story of the cross, we go through the story of the foot washing, that it stands at the front of that story. It's, it's the room we have to go through to get there, this wonderful act. We're told that Jesus laid aside his garments, and he took water and poured it into a basin, and he began to wash the feet. This is part of what is referred to as the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ is this idea that, that the second person of the Trinity became flesh in this world, that there was this incarnation and that the, the second person of the Trinity, that his journey to the cross, this fully God, fully human journey to the cross, this humiliation of Jesus to die for our sins. There's that verse in John chapter 1. In the word became flesh. The second person of, of the Trinity became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of truth uh, full of grace and full of truth. You see that glory came into this world, full of grace and truth. Glory came into this world. 
the humiliation of Christ. Maybe you're aware of that passage in, in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we've mentioned it a number of times uh, in this room. Paul writes it this way. He goes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The coming down of Jesus, the humiliation of Christ. Jesus had this awareness of himself. Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, and that's a way he referred to himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the action that unfolded. And so he washes the disciples' feet and he wipes them with the towel that is wrapped around him. You know, it's so interesting that in our culture, when we have foot washings, you know, that, that we'll have a gathering at some point and someone say, let's do a foot washing here and let's reenact this, this story. Let's, let's love each other. And yet in our culture, there are a lot of us that go, you know what, Let, my feet are fine in my shoes. You know, <laughs> let's just leave them there. That's a good place for them to be. But in the place where Jesus was washing the feet, in that culture that he was in, there was no... Uh, horizontal embarrassment. There was no sense of needing to hide our feet from each other because people wore sandals all You knew people's feet. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, who comes and stoops before his disciples and washes their feet. All scholars seem to agree that this act of washing feet points to the cross. Jesus himself said, listen, you don't understand this now, but you will. You don't understand it now, but you will. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you what's, what's taking place. So let's pause right here. What daily attention do we give to Jesus' act of incredible love and sacrifice? Is that something that we have simply... Uh, acknowledged in the past and then kind of put it in a piece of stitchery and put it up on, uh, on a wall? Or, or, or is that something that we just hear in a story and we go about our days or, or we come back to when we, need, when we feel like we need it, but otherwise it just isn't all that present in our lives? What daily attention do we give to Jesus' act of incredible love in sacrifice? All right, I'm a big fan of Yosemite National Park. Love it. Grew up going to it a good number of times and been to it in a good number of seasons. I just, I, I love Yosemite National Park. And when you're there in the valley floor and you look across uh, where the stream's running through and these meadows and you got the trees all around you, and you look down the valley and you see Half Dome, El Capitan's off in your left, you see Half Dome. And it's just like this awe feeling, this big slice of granite just sticking up there. And I wonder if Half Dome was in your backyard. If there ever comes a point and you just stop paying attention to it. Oh, yeah, I forgot it was there. Uh, yeah, Half Dome. Yeah, we see it every day. We're so tired of it. Something so spectacular as what we see in the, uh, the fact that Jesus would come and lovingly sacrifice himself, lower himself, 
If that's watching the action, let's take a look then at the responses. Let's examine the response. And there happen to be two responses. We know that, Paul, that, uh, that, that P- Peter, he first says, you know, uh, you're going to wash my feet. And he goes, Jesus says, yes, you don't understand right now, but you will. And, and then Jesus goes, no way, absolutely not. The, the way that the original language is, he could not say it more strongly than what, how he said it. This should not happen. In other words, he says, my conscience knows better than you, Jesus. See, my conscience inside me knows better than you. I, I, I have determined that, that in this situation that, that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing to me. My conscience knows better. To which Jesus says, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. In other words, Jesus must serve you. Jesus must serve me for me to be saved, for you to be saved. In our culture, we're so used to giving out the opportunity for others to measure us, for ourselves to measure ourselves, that it's all about measuring. Are you good enough? Do you get good enough grades? Are you going to a good enough college? Do you have a good enough job? Do you have a, a good enough house? Do you have a good enough car? Do you have a good enough retirement? And measuring, do, are we just, can we maximize? Can we optimize? Can we move forward? Can you do? Can you perform? Do you measure up? Jesus says, listen, I, I need to serve you. You need me to serve you. You won't have any share of me if I don't cleanse you. In other words, we talk about it this way, that Jesus' cleansing is necessary. The foot washing, pointing to the cross, the cross of Christ is necessary for salvation. And so Paul, or P- Peter hears this, Peter hears this and goes, okay, if that's true, then, then give me more. <laughs> give, give, give me the extra dose, you know. Go ahead and wash my hands and my head as well. This turns out being, okay, Jesus, you want to give me that, but I'd like to have more. I'd like to have Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something. Give, give me more, Jesus. In the way this often works out in Christian life is that we acknowledge the, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross, but then we say, but you know, you also better have this. You better have a good prayer life too then. I'm not saying anything against a good prayer life, but when we say it's Jesus plus something else, it's that we need more than what Jesus gives through his cross. You see, with the cross, we get everything we need. In other words, people talk about it this way. Jesus' cleansing is sufficient. It's necessary and sufficient. So let's pause here. Let me ask the question three quick ways. What is the church's response to the necessity and sufficiency of Christ's act of cleansing? This is what we'll be asking this year. There have been some churches that say, you know what, no. No, we uh, no longer say that, that the cross of Christ is necessary or sufficient. We just, we, we just want to open the door to any such way that uh, people want to go. You can't do that and still be biblical. It's impossible to hold that position and still be Christocentric in your theology. Biblical in your theology. A church may say, yes, but, yes, we acknowledge, but we also want to emphasize these things. Or or we want to build our success on, on other dynamics other than the cross. But the answer that Jesus calls for from us as a church 
is simply to say yes to the necessity and sufficiency of his death on the cross for our salvation. And that when we answer the question of what's next, it flows from what he has done for us. We could ask the question this way, Christians, what is our response or your response to the necessity and sufficiency of Christ's cleansing? How is that being lived out in your life today? We could ask the question this way, those who are not yet Christians, what is your response to the humiliation of Christ, his lowering, his coming down, his serving, his washing, his cleansing, his death on the cross for you? Is this the day? Is this the day? Is this the day you say, I'm all in? That God would send his son in this world to die for me and set me apart to be his child for today and forevermore? I am all in. And you get to then live out what's next in your life based on what God has done for you. Oftentimes when this passage is taught, there will be this tendency, and it's, it's okay too, that people will move to the ethical part which comes next. When Jesus says, you know, what I've done, you need to do. We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about the servants, but today it's all about the served. We are the served. We must be served by Jesus. There's no way to follow Christ without welcoming and depending upon him serving us. He did what you and I could never do. What he did was exactly what we needed. And what he did was all in that you and I ever needed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who sent your son into this world. And we ask, God, that as your children in this world, so easily distracted by the flow of culture, the, the, uh, the anxiety of the moment, the, the distractions we create for ourselves, the temptations we face, we ask that even this day that you would solidify in us that grand narrative, that cosmic narrative, the story of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human coming to save us and set us apart, to cleanse us. Keep us from writing you off, God. Keep us from taking you for granted. May the cross of Christ, may the humiliation of Christ, the, the cleansing work of Christ, even as it's exemplified in the washing of feet, may that be our identity. May you guide into whatever you have, guide us into whatever you have next. We give you praise. In Christ's name.